After the brutal massacre and terror attacks by Hamas, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has launched an all-out blockade and war against Gaza. How will the war in West Asia impact geopolitics? Will it divide the world on old traditional Arab versus Israel and the West lines? And what is the line that New Delhi is taking? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. This week, the world has been horrified by the images of a brutal, multi-pronged terror attack by the Hamas group that controls the Gaza Strip on the western side of Israel. More than 1,200 have been killed in those attacks in Israel on October 7th and 8th, nearly 3,000 injured. Civilians gunned down by terrorists who para-jumped into Israel traveled on jeeps by breaking through the Israeli defenses and what was called the Iron Wall along the border. Many of those who were killed were children. Many of the 150 people taken hostage right now are women and children. And that situation continues, although a few hostages have been released. Hamas has said uh, or claimed that it is fighting historical grievances, including the loss of land to Israel, worries over losing access to holy sites in Jerusalem, including the Al-Aqsa Mosque, imprisonment and killings by Israeli forces of Palestinians, and they termed the operation Operation Al-Aqsa Flood. Israel's response came within hours of the attack, and within a few days, we saw pounding of Gaza. In fact, for five days now, Israeli missiles have been pounding Gaza. Israel has also cut off water, electricity, food and medicine convoys into Gaza, with officials saying that they want the Israeli hostages that have been taken to be released first. More than 1,500 residents of Gaza have been killed in the bombings. Uh, the Palestinian government, the health officials say 500 of those are children. Israel has also reportedly told the United Nations that they want more than a million people living in North Gaza to be evacuated immediately as reports of a possible ground offensive grow. Remember, Israel had at one point, several years ago, actually vacated Gaza uh, and then went in with these offensive once rocket attacks began. Also remember, few recognize or deal with the Hamas government itself in uh, Gaza. Most of them work with the Palestinian Authority run by President Mahmoud Abbas of the Fateh group there. Now, the attacks have had ripple effects worldwide. Among those killed in Israel were people of 23 nationalities and dual citizenships. Prime Minister Netanyahu spoke to a number of leaders around the world, including Prime Minister Narendra Modi, but primarily he was talking to the United States, Israel's primary supporter. Secretary of State of the U.S. Blinken reached Israel within days, promising U.S. help, aid and military equipment to help Israel defend itself in any way it needed. Most NATO members have also promised similar support. The European Union actually announced a suspension of all aid to Palestine as well, but then reversed that decision. Uh, then the Arab League foreign ministers held a meeting on October 11th. Uh, the Organization for Islamic Cooperation, OIC, is hold, going to hold an emergency meeting as well. And they have all focused mainly on the Israeli bombing and blockades, calling for the world to resolve the issue, granting uh, Palestinian people a sovereign state with East Jerusalem as its capital. And as many have noted, while they have decried terrorist attacks, have not condemned Hamas outright. 
Uh, the violence also saw, saw something very rare taking place, a call between Saudi Prime Minister and Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi. So very, very significant there. Now across the world, we've seen processions supporting the Palestinian cause, supporting Israel against terrorism, all uh, in different cities of the world. Countries like Russia and China have called for restraint. Japan, for example, condemned the Hamas attacks and called for an end to the Israeli strikes as well. At the United Nations, in fact, the UNSC is meeting uh, as well to discuss the situation. Israel and Palestine ambassadors have made strong appeals for their respective causes. Listen in. One deadly year after another. We came to the Security Council month after month, warning of the consequences of Israeli impunity and international inaction. What we are witnessing are war crimes, blatant barbaric war crimes, slaughtering civilians, abusing hostages, taking babies from their, Ruth, from their mothers. There are no words to describe such savagery. This is Israel's 9-11. Now, clearly, the comparisons to the attack in the United States on 9-11 in 2001, as well as for Israel of the 1973 Yom Kippur War, where neighboring countries began a surprise attack against Israel, and in India, to the Mumbai 26-11 attacks are taking place. Uh, a lot of those comparisons being made, of course, it is difficult to find exact uh, comparisons in history, uh, but it must be remembered that the Hamas actually represents an extreme wing uh, of the Palestinian cause, uh, and it has been unpopular within, uh, whereas the Israeli government at present is is facing a lot of popular unhappiness as well, not just uh, up, uh, after the attacks, but before the attacks. Uh, political support for Netanyahu went down over the judicial protests that you saw. Uh, in addition, after the attacks, many asking how did Israel get caught so off guard? So what has India's reaction really been? It has been in three parts or a three-pronged reaction, if you like. And what is that made up of? One, within hours of the attack on attacks on October 7th, Prime Minister Modi tweeted from his account his support for Israel, condemnation of the terror attacks, said he was in solidarity with Israel. On October the 10th, Prime Minister Netanyahu also called Prime Minister Modi, where Prime Minister Modi reiterated that support. He also spoke about the safety of Indians. Then the second prong was really the government uh, beginning to plan for charter flights for Indians wanting to return from Israel during the conflict. I uh, remember about 18,000 Indians live there at present. Many of them are students, of course. And about 85,000 Indian origin Jewish people have actually moved to Israel or what is called taken aliyah and taken citizenship of uh, Israel. Now, the operations to bring Indians back is being called Operation Ajay. In fact, the external affairs minister himself oversaw some of the preparations. And the third prong is that the only formal statement that the Ministry of External Affairs made so far about those attacks on October 7th and 8th was in fact on October the 12th, where spokesperson Arindam Bagchi, answering a number of journalistic questions, said this. Listen in. Um, our policy um, in this regard uh, has been long-standing and consistent. India has always advocated the resumption of direct negotiations uh, towards establishing a sovereign, independent and viable state of Palestine, living within secure and recognized borders, side by side, at peace with Israel. And I think that position 
remains the same. We are, as I said, our focus is to assist our citizens. Uh, but there is an universal obligation, I think, to observe international humanitarian law. There is also a global responsibility to fight the menace of terrorism in all its forms and manifestations. And I think that um, accurately sums up how we look at this. So it seems like an attempt really to balance international humanitarian law, the need to adhere to that, along with the responsibility uh, to fight terrorism. And that's why India's position is really being called uh, a balancing act, traditionally sympathetic to Palestine, increasingly coming closer to Israel. Uh, so let's just take a look at the history of that relationship. And I know we've spoken about it, I think, two years ago in Worldview as well. And you can take a look at that uh, episode. But in November 1947, the UN passed a resolution to divide the what was called the British Mandate of the Palestine into two parts, the Jewish state of Israel and the Arab state of uh, Palestine. Uh, remember, at that point, the World War had just ended. There were millions of uh, Jewish survivors of the Holocaust coming in uh, and, and looking for, for a place to stay. India, in fact, voted against the partition plan, said it was unfair un, uh, to the Palestinians. Um, but as a result of its position, while India recognized Israel in 1950, it only had a trade consulate there, not full ties between the two countries. As Israel began to, uh, to expand its, uh, its occupation of Arab territories, especially after 1967, Indian statements, and remember India was also a member of the non-aligned movement at the time, were clearly more sympathetic to the Palestinian cause. In 1975, in fact, India even allowed the PLO to set up its office in Delhi. It was only in 1992, and so much else had changed in the world, along with the end of the Cold War, the coming down of the Berlin Wall, uh, the need for energy in the Gulf War. Uh, India actually made a dramatic shift, established full diplomatic ties with Israel. And since then, high-level exchanges between the countries have really grown. In 2001, it was just one thing first Indian foreign minister to visit Israel. In 2015, President Pranab Mukherjee became the first Indian president to visit Israel. He also visited Palestine. In 2017, Prime Minister Modi became the first Indian prime minister to visit Israel. Uh, he also visited Palestine, but a few months later in 2018, and he was awarded the grand color of the state of Palestine for his work in helping the Palestinian cause. And after that, we really have stopped counting the first because India and Israel ties got much closer together in several fields as agriculture and science, investments in startups, water technology in particular. Israel actually has a water attaché in its embassy. Uh, India also imports Israeli defense equipment, uh, in fact, worth more than a billion dollars every year and comes in just behind Russia, France and the United States in terms of what India procures. Uh, there's also been controversy over Pegasus and other surveillance equipment that in Israel supplies to India. And India and Israel are part of new formations, multilateral formations like I2U2 with India, UAE, this Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, as well as what is called the India Middle East Europe Economic Corridor, which was just announced during the G20. We told you more about that um, with so many of these countries of the region, including Israel. As a result, the question really, how could the current uptick in violence uh, impact India's foreign policy? To begin with, at the United Nations, you're likely to see a lot more 
representations, resolutions, and India will be expected to take a less ambiguous position. It's always done this balancing act, but there will be a hope by both Israel and Palestine for more strident support for their causes. In support for Israel on terror, India will hope to also get more support from the West on its war on terror, perhaps even pushing again the idea of the comprehensive uh, convention on international terrorism that India has been pushing since 1997 hasn't yet come about. Now, if the conflict continues at this intense pitch, it could certainly affect Indian trade, Indian supplies from Israel, although that's not being outlooked at the present. Uh, the broader impact for India and for the rest of the world will be seen on the Middle East peace process. And by this, we don't just mean the Arab and Israeli peace process, but all the new Abraham Accords between Israel and several countries of the region. So how difficult are these attacks and Israel's counter uh, operations going to make Saudi-Israel ties or recognition that was being talked about? What about the UAE-Israel ties under the Abraham Accords? Can they continue to grow at the same pace, uh, given how outraged the Arab world is about Israel's bombing of Gaza? In addition, Remember, closer Saudi-Iran ties will have their own impact. We'll talk about it another time on Worldview. And there are initiatives that we had spoken about, like the I2U2, like IMEC, uh, other initiatives in the Middle Eastern region, and really running from UAE to Israel, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, all of these could be uh, in some way impacted. So what's Worldview's take? The brutal and inhuman nature of the Hamas attacks on Israeli citizens will impact geopolitics in the region for a long time to come. Israel is a state, however, and its retaliation on the Gazan population that is held hostage by a terror group like Hamas and has been consistently punished by Israel for uh, attacks in the past. This does not uphold international humanitarian law. A state cannot behave as an insurgent group does. Supporting Israeli and Palestinian victims of this conflict, therefore, must also include a major push for dialogue, a return by the international community for dialogue, a need for moderation, something that, remember, terror groups like Hamas and many hardliner groups in Israel responsible for assassinations have always been opposed to. So it is a very tricky, traumatic, uh, historical conflict. It's very difficult to put it all into one uh, episode of Worldview for you, but we hope it certainly helped. I'm going to get you some reading recommendations as well, and many of them are older books, uh, but there's a more recent book called Israel and Palestine by Ian Carroll, and he looks over thousands of years, uh, looks at the present history as well, uh, and is a very sort of comprehensive account. Then there's, of course, Jerusalem, the biography by Simon Sebag Montefiore, and of course, um, Simon Sebag Montefiore is known for many other books. There's called The World, which is really worth reading as well. Uh, then there's New York Times uh, uh, columnist uh, Tom Friedman, who's also written about the, the conflict right now. But his book was called From Beirut to Jerusalem. And I think it's about 20 years old, but very relevant. Hundred Years War on Palestine by Rashid Khalidi. He also looks at a little bit of that history. And it's important to read many books to get all the pieces of the puzzle together. Uh, there's also one called The Punishment of Gaza by Gideon Levy, uh, which is really, really worth reading about Gaza in particular. And that point from 2005 to 2009 when Israeli forces withdrew and then began uh, an offensive from the outside. 
no room for small dreams, courage, imagination, and the making of modern Israel. This is by Shimon Peres, and I would really recommend it. It tells you a lot about the thinking and what drove uh, leaders like Peres and Yitzhak Rabin, who was then assassinated, to actually move towards the, the peace process, to move towards the dialogue, the Oslo Accords, Camp David, and all the rest. Uh, a book called Palestine, Peace, Not Apartheid by Jimmy Carter. And remember, the, the term apartheid is very, very controversial since it is uh, it is actually uh, belongs to South Africa. Uh, but the former U.S. president, Jimmy Carter, was an integral part of the peace process and has written this book. My Promised Land, The Triumph and Tragedy of Israel by Ari Shavit. And I'm going to give you two books about personal accounts of returns to that promised land on both sides of the divide. So that one by Ari Shavit. And then there's I Saw Ramallah. It's a 2003 book by Murid Barghuti. It's really, really worth reading. Of course, Edward Said has written about similar uh, issues as well. And then to the relations with India. There's India's Israel Policy by P.R. Kumarswamy, a must read. Uh, especially on the shift and the changes. India and Israel, the making of a strategic partnership. Former diplomat, former ambassador Jayant Prasad has edited a series of essays, uh, a delightful book called Indians at Herod's Gate, a Jerusalem tale by Navtej Sarna, also an ambassador to Israel, and he's written about his personal uh, experiences there. And finally, this book I haven't been able to really read yet, but I've read the previews and it looks very impressive called The Breakup of India and Palestine, The Causes and Legacies of Partition, Studies in Imperialism by Victor Katan uh, and Amit Ranjan. They're the editors. There's an illustrious group that have written, contributed essays to this book. And of course, there is those parallels are difficult, historical parallels between India's partition and Israel's partition or Palestine's partition, actually, um, uh, from, uh, from way back when. But the point being made again and again is these uh, partitions have left lasting wounds on their societies and are a product in some way of imperialism and colonialism. Uh, so we hope you did feel a little more informed about the conflict there on Worldview. We'll keep coming back with more each week. Do log in to www.thehindu.com or like and subscribe the Hindu's YouTube site as well. From the team here, thanks for watching.